Good morning. I'm louder in this than I thought. If you would please take a moment, forget all that stuff that's worrying you, causing you anxiety, stress, just put that aside. We'll give this moment to God because he deserves to be worshipped. So if you would please stand and sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, as I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Cause I want to see you. Cause I want to see you. See you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power in love as we sing, holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, cause I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, 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 I want to see you. Forgive me. If I have a range, that's at the top of it. <laughs> there we go. The splendor of the king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice let all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide 
trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And oh, we see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end, beginning and the end, and I'm in one, Father, Spirit, Son, Lion and the Lamb. Lion and the Lamb, how great is our God, sing with me how great is our God, and oh we'll see how great, how great is our God, how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. You are the name above all names, worthy of all praise. My heart will sing. How great is our God. You are the name above all names. Worthy of all praise. My heart will sing. How great is our God. How great is our God, sing with me how great is our God, and oh, see how great, how great is our God. One more time. How great is our God, sing with me how great. Is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, 
my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath of all that I am never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord all the earth, let us sing the power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hand. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. <laughs> at the work of your hands, forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Mountains bow down and the I keep doing this on a loop, I'm sorry. Roar at the sound. For joy at the work of your hand. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you that was the line right there my jesus my savior lord there is none like you all of my days i want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength. Let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you shout to the lord all the earth let us sing power and majesty praise to the king mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name i sing for joy at the work of your hands forever i love you forever i'll stand nothing compares to the promise i have in you so much. I'm sorry.
Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for who you've made us to you. I thank you that you accept our praise even when it isn't perfect. Father God, thank you so much that we are able to commune with you. I pray that you bless our time together. I pray that you would give me the right words to speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. morning. So I'm coming into this idea, and I hope he's not too uncomfortable with it, but when in doubt, ask Chad. I'm just joking. I'll leave Chad alone. So I'm incredibly blessed to be here today. To be standing in front of you, to be speaking from the scriptures because uh, those of you that have known me for more than five minutes understand that my obsession with holiness actually comes from understanding how unholy I truly am. So the past few weeks, uh, past several weeks now, we've been going through scriptures, the story of man with God. And we started at the beginning of Genesis and we uh, made it up through last week talking about Abraham and him uh, taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him as God commanded, and then at the last moment, God not requiring that of him. So this brings us to uh, chapter 23 in the book of Genesis. Now, if you look at the bulletin, I had grand ideas of getting all the way through chapter 1, because in my original read through this, I'm like, oh, this goes with this, and this goes with this, and we can breeze right through it. Um, this is just a loose idea that will make it that far because the clock will continue to tick whether or not I read these or not. And at some point we do want to move on to uh, our time of fellowship and celebration and Rob's retirement party. Um, so um, a couple things about the retirement party today. Uh, and I know some of you were probably expecting me to do uh, a big soliloquy about Rob. But in my internship with Rob and my time spent with Rob, I realized that if he's been an effective mentor, I should probably just go straight to scripture and leave Rob alone until it's time to celebrate Rob. So we'll be doing that this afternoon. There's a blessing book on each table or on this table off to the side. There's a pink one that is not for Rob. And there's a black one with polka dots. That one is for Rob. If Rob has been a blessing to you, or you'd like to bless him with a section of scripture. Uh, there's pens laying there. Please write something in that book. The pink one is actually for Marcia. And I don't know how to celebrate an introvert without making them the center of attention, so I'm going to try my best. Uh, I just want to know, let you to know that we do appreciate you. And anyone who has ever enjoyed a bulletin at Valley View Mennonite Church up until September of this year, it's because of Marcia. So I just want to take a moment to thank her for the years of service, and I'm not going to say exactly how many, but the years of service. And it is impressive, 
and she was usually the first person here and the last one to leave, and she made the bulletins for a good number of years. So if you have a blessing you'd like to give in the little pink book, that's for Marcia. But she was also Rob's pastoral assistant, so when Rob retired, she thought that was a good time to transition out. So as part of Rob's retirement party, I think it would be good to acknowledge that she has done a lot. And I'll leave you alone now. Maybe. Okay. So we are at Genesis 23, the death of Sarah. So Sarah passes at 127 years old, which is far longer than I hope to live. And Abraham uh, acquires a field to bury her in. And we have this beautiful example of cultural haggling in chapter 23, um, where there's a lot of uh, false humility and be like, hey, what's, what's 400 pieces of silver between friends? When in reality, what he's doing is he's telling him the price of the field, but he's acting like he doesn't really want it. And then Abraham just immediately weighs it out. This is a bunch of false humility and cultural haggling. It's actually pretty cool. Um, so again, I'm doing broad strokes here. Um, it took uh, John MacArthur 44 years to preach through the New Testament, and I'm hoping to do the whole Bible in a year and a half. So forgive me for my broad strokes. We're coming back. Okay. Um, chapter 24, after, in 23, Abraham buries Sarah, his wife. In chapter 24, Abraham sends his servant to the land he came from to find him a wife among his own clan. This is, uh, I'm going to read some of this. Abraham was now old and advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant of his household, the one in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will get a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, among whom, or excuse me, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites, among whom I am living but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country from where you came? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send, <coughs> excuse me, his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So his servant put his hand under his thigh and the master Abraham, of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. So Abraham sends his servant back to get a wife from his own people, but he says, don't take my son back there because God has promised him a different land for his lineage. This is uh, the chapter where we actually meet Laban, who is a much bigger player in the chapters to come. But I've actually, until this week, had never really noticed that Laban appears when, when they're getting Isaac's wife. But he comes back in Jacob's story, and he's a major nuisance to Jacob. And uh, one of the resonating themes uh, I'm noticing is that Laban's family is pretty shifty. 
just about every relative associated with Laban is shifty in some way. They, have a, they, they take a lot of liberties with the truth. And that's Laban and his sister and his nephew. They're all a bit shifty. So the servant goes. Oh, I might as well read it because I can't paraphrase it as well as just reading it sometimes. So the servant takes ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all, all the good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Naharam, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down by the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when women would go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See that I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. She says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you've shown kindness to my master. So Rebecca comes out with all the, the girls of the town and to draw water because it's in the evening, and this is the job. It's one of the lower jobs in the house is collecting water. It's typically thought of as women's work. So uh, she comes out to get the water, and he asks, can I have a drink? And she says, yes, and I'll water your camels as well. And so the servant at this point gives her a gold nose ring and some bracelets and says to her, that I am a servant of Abraham. Excuse me. She answered, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son of ne- uh, Milcah, for to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder. So he says, am I able to come back to your house and spend the night? And she says, yes, we have plenty of fodder. And then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard Rebecca tell the man what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the, by the camels near the spring. Come, you are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for your camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him. And the men washed their feet. Then food was set before him and he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have come to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle and silver and gold, made manservants and maidservants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has bore him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whom the land I live. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. 
And then I said to my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before whom I walked will send an angel before you and make your journey successful so that you can get a wife from my son, from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be refreshed or released from the oath, even if they refuse to give her to you and you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said to the Lord and the master of Abraham, if you will, please grant me success. To the journey of which I have come. See, I am standing beside the spring. If a maidservant comes out to draw water and I say, please give me a drink of, the, of a little water from your jar. And if she says, drink and I'll draw water for your camels also, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master. Before finishing praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder she went down to the spring and drew water, and I said, please give me a little drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered my camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put a ring in her nose and bracelets on her arm, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, whom had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you show kindness and your faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me so that I may know which way to turn. So in, interesting things about this is God immediately answers his prayer, which is not typically my experience, but he also takes time to worship the Lord when God grants him success. How many times do we remember to do this? I'm not looking for in the moral of the story is, but if I was, I could pull this one out. The servant is granted success. God blesses him, and he immediately worships God. So stories like this do kind of encourage me that the next time I find my car keys, I should definitely thank God because somehow in my 38 years, I have not come up with a central location to place those when I come in the house. So every day... Almost every day, I'm looking for my car keys. So um, the servant brings Rebecca back to Isaac. And we see how unceremonial marriages are at the end of this chapter. Uh, he quite literally takes her as his wife, and they are married. I'm a huge fan of Christian marriages and the ceremonies and the, the party afterwards and the celebration. I love it. I, I think it's essential. I think it's a beautiful thing. But if we look back in Genesis, mar marriages are incredibly unceremonial. And you can see that through, uh, through the end of this chapter. Isaac takes her as his wife, and he loves her. And he is comforted through the death of his mother, through his new wife. Chapter 25 tells about the death of Abraham. And we see that Abraham remarries a woman named Ketur and has six more sons. So all in all, this old man gets to have eight sons. That is incredible. And I brought this up in a previous message that Abraham got to live to see the blessing of God. It wasn't something that he knew God was blessing him eventually. He got to see the blessings of God. I also find it interesting that it mentions when Abraham is buried, Ishmael 
and Isaac buried him. Even though Ishmael was sent away, Ishmael buries his father. It makes me think of a lot of funerals I've been to where estranged relatives show up at the funeral and they're always upset because they let the time slip away. That wasn't what I was going to preach about today, but if you have feelings about someone, tell them. Tell them. I'm not talking about romantic feelings. Sometimes you should just leave those alone. What I'm saying is if you have love and appreciation or are harboring ill towards someone, it would benefit you to put down your burden and allow God to work in that situation because life is short. Life is incredibly short, even for Abraham, who lived 175 years, which is, in my book, far too long. Far too long. If someone figures out through medical science how to make me live 175 years, I will be disappointed. Let me go see Jesus. Please. Around the time he had Ishmael would be a good time for Jesus to take me home. Not that he's taking requests, but if he is, that would be a great time. It also lists the sons of Ishmael in chapter 25, and I believe Ishmael has 12 sons, and he is made into a great nation, which still exists, actually. In chapter 25, it also brings about the story of the birth of Jacob and Esau. Now, my brother's name is Jacob, so I'm very familiar with this story, mostly because of what they say Jacob's name means. It's given me a lot of opportunity to tease my brother through the years. So, uh, I'm at the end of, of chapter 25. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian from Padan Aram, and his sister, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. This seems to be a family tradition as well. There's a lot of family uh, overlap that you're going to see between Isaac and Abraham. Because she was barren. Okay. Um, the Lord answered his prayer, and the wife and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled with each other within her room, womb, and she said, "Why is this happening to me?" So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger." When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grabbing Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Mm -hmm. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of open country, and Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, 
Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So I believe traditionally Esau should have gotten two-thirds of everything his father owned as his inheritance. Jacob should have received one-third as a younger son. So for a bowl of red lentil stew, he sold his birthright to his brother. So he he said, okay, you have two-thirds, I'll take the one-third. I don't know how hungry you have to be to trade your birthright for a bowl of beans. But he did. So at the end, the last verse, it says, so uh, Esau despised his birthright. In chapter 26, we get to see a like father, like son moment with actually the exact same king that his father had uh, dealt with. So Abimelech and Isaac is chapter 26. So Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, go to the land where Abimelech is king much like Abraham and Sarah went to the land where Abimelech was king. And Isaac says of his wife, she is my sister. I wonder where he picked that trick up from. (laughs) Sorry. He clearly picked that up from his parents because that's his daddy's go-to is, oh, she's my sister. Don't kill me. Which, again, when you see scripture, one of the things that I absolutely... Uh, adore about scripture is that it gives us all the boneheaded things that our heroes of faith do because they are human beings that do just ridiculous things. But if you had the opportunity, most of you married guys in here would probably so prefer to die than have someone think your wife is your sister. Maybe I'm making too great an assumption, but anyway. So uh, Abimelech actually <laughs> is, uh, I believe he, he gets to talk to God in this experience. Okay, here we, oh, no, 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 I'm thinking of Abimelech with Abraham and Sarah. I'm sorry. Okay. So I'm just going to jump in in chapter 26 here. Uh, chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier family, a famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants I will give this land, and I will confirm my oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commandments, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. 
because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife, and you would have been and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone that molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And I have a feeling that his response actually looks back at the encounter he had with Abraham where almost the exact same thing happened. So he's, he's very quick to say, don't mess with these people. So again, Isaac plants crops and God blesses him abundantly yet again. Isaac's servants dung wells in the valley, a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So they named the well Asak, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over this one also. So they named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over this one, and he named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase your number, the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pit pitched his tent, and there among his servants he dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come from Gerar with Azuath, his personal advisor, and Philcol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly the Lord was with you, so we said, We ought to have a sworn agreement between us. Between us and you, let's make a treaty with you, so that you do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but also treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord." Isaac made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other, and Isaac sent them on their way and left them in peace. That day, Isaac's servant came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we have found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and also Basemath the daughter of Elion the Hittite. They were a source of, gr uh, of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Something that was pointed out to me this week also uh, by my father was part of the problem that the Israelites constantly have with the Philistines probably begins here with both Abraham and Isaac making covenants with the king of the Philistines, saying, we're not going to trouble you, we're going to live side by side. And then after time, what happens with promises is people forget as generations go by. So the fact that they're dwelling so side by side with each other actually goes probably back to the fact that Abraham made a covenant and then Isaac made a covenant with uh, the king of the Philistines. I know I'm speeding through this, so I, I hope you'll forgive me. But I think one of the biggest things that God has been putting on my heart today is 
the blessings that he gives to us over time. The church, we have existed, the church, the Christian church has existed for over 2,000 years. And we still exist. And the funny thing about the Christian church is it flourishes when it's distressed. Under persecution, it grows, which should be seen as a miracle in itself. And when the church is given room to flourish, we tend to grow stagnant. It's very unusual. But God keeps promising to Abraham and now to Isaac that I will bless you and I will increase you. And I will increase you. And somewhere along the line, and I bring this up every week, and I probably will until you get to the point where you ask me not to, somewhere along the line we stop looking at growth as a blessing. We started cloistering. God promises to give descendants and to grow Abraham's household. Have we looked at the growth of our own households as a blessing? The growth of our friendships as a blessing? The growth of our, growth of our circle of friends as a blessing? When someone shows up, do we look at them as a blessing? Or do we look at the things that they need to change in order to be a blessing? I apply this a lot to uh, children. You know, parents thinking, well, we can't afford children. No one can afford children. No one. Children are, people like to say that horses eat money. If they do, it's because they learned it from children. Children cost as much money as you have. They cost as much time as you have. That cost doesn't seem to go up no matter how many children you have, and it doesn't seem to go down no matter how few children you have. If you were in a position within a blessed and holy marital covenant, I would encourage you to have as many children as you possibly can. And I'm speaking as a man with one child who I'm very blessed to have and God gave her to me. And I am counting on him giving me many, many grandchildren if he chooses to. If not, she's enough because God gives us what we need. But I'm not sure when we stop looking at what's happening What's going to happen? Looking down to the future, I'm not going to go too heavy-handed with this, I hope. But when we're looking at what happens next, what is the generation of the church going to look like when my daughter is a grown-up? Or when my grandchildren, God willing, are grown-ups? What is that church going to look like? Or are we putting all our eggs in the basket of Jesus is coming back first? Let's cloister. That may well be. And I welcome that wholeheartedly and with open arms. But I would like you to commit to building a godly nation. Not America, but a godly church. A godly church. In Genesis, God keeps promising to build a godly nation from these men. So as men and women... Is this something that you're looking for, for God to build a godly nation through you? Does this promise apply to us? Or is this a historical account? I'm not sure.
But I think it would be better to view it as, is God looking to build through you? And I would, I would answer yes. God is looking to build through you. Our expectation from God has never really changed based on what we feel is about to happen. God says, be fruitful and multiply. God says, he will increase us. And then later, God says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is our expectation, regardless of what you feel the political climate is, regardless if there's a pandemic or an election year, regardless of anything else. Well, our church is arguing about carpets right now, and we're not yet, but I do keep bringing it up, so we will be soon. But regardless of whatever is happening, I'm just kidding, I'm going to leave the carpets alone, they look beautiful. Um, regardless of whatever is happening in your church, our responsibility is the same. Regardless, even, if you believe that you get to choose God or whether God chose you, your responsibility is still the same. Go and make disciples. Because as the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, how can I know unless somebody tells me? Your responsibility is always the same. And I would say that God still is looking for us to build and to make a great people. And I'm almost leery to say make a great nation because I swore allegiance to that multiple times already. And how long are oaths good for? As far as I know, forever. But my oath to the kingdom of God is so much higher. It has to be. It has to be so much higher. I'm blessed. I was born an American. That is one of the greatest blessings you can ever have. Because unless you, if you didn't know this, I'm going to say it again. If you have two cars in any condition and have a roof over your head, you are in the richest 5% population in the entire world. Just on that criteria alone, you are in the richest 5% of the world's population. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. So in celebrating that blessing, wanting to pass that blessing on to other people, but also looking for what is God doing now? Where is he calling us to? Because if he chooses to end it today, oh, that would be great. If he chooses to wait another 2,000 years, Let's look at it like that and build God's church based on scripture, based on truth, in honesty, not telling people what they want to hear, telling people what God said. Something I've learned is we're not all going to agree. What's interesting, and Rob and I have talked very candidly about this, if he was going to pick a replacement to carry on a legacy personally, I would not have been his choice. And I'm very thankful for that, actually, because he's still my mentor, and I love him, and I've learned more from him than probably any other human being on earth other than my father. We are on the same team. We are serving the same God. We're on the same mission. My methodology and a few other things about me are very different than Rob's, and that's true. Rob to me, and uh, honestly, I love the man, and I assume he loves me too because he's yet to be rude to me. But we don't have to agree on everything. What we need to agree on are very fundamental ideas. This can't be about who's standing up here. This has to be about Jesus. 
This can't be about the sign by the road. This has to be about Jesus. It has to be about Jesus. If someone is in error, you tell them, but it has to be about Jesus. It can't be because you hurt my feelings. It has to be about Jesus. I'm so blessed to be a part of this group. I'm also very blessed to be a part of the greater church. I'm blessed as all believe to be in a discipleship group with a Roman Catholic, and I didn't know that was going to happen, but it did, and it's amazing, and I learned so much from him. And, if, and I hope he gets something from me occasionally as well. God is doing something bigger. He's always doing something bigger. We're in a weird transition time because of political and uh, pandemic. I don't know how to say pandemical. I just made up a word. It's fine. But just the nervousness in society around the year 2020, which seems to have grown into almost El Nino status where everybody blames it for everything. It's just a year, a year like so many other years. Although when people told me, welcome to the year of hindsight, I didn't realize we would all spend a year looking back. In the year of hindsight, hindsight is 2020. Anybody else? Oh, okay. They had to explain that joke to me too. I didn't get it. They said, welcome to the year of hindsight. I'm like, what? 2020? Hindsight is 2020? And we really have spent the entire year looking back, going, well, you remember when we used to do this? And you remember when we used to do that? I'm not asking anybody to embrace, and I hate the phrase, but I'm going to use it because it could apply if it didn't have so much baggage to it, but I'm not looking for people to go to the new normal. We've never been normal. We are peculiar people. Let's not embrace the new normal. Let's move forward. Let's do whatever God wants to do next, whatever it looks like. Let's read scripture. Let's pray together. Let's figure out what God's doing and let's run towards it. We're blessed. This is amazing. If you'd have told me the day I showed up at Valley View Mennonite Church because my fiance brought me that I would be the pastor of Valley View Mennonite Church, I would have laughed a lot. I would have laughed so hard I probably would have dropped my cigarette. Because when I started attending church here, I think I smoked three packs a day, and I'm not exaggerating. You didn't know that, so I mean, that's okay. It was a bad habit I picked up somewhere along the line, but that doesn't define who I am. And I am so thankful that my wife saw something of value in me because honestly, I might have advised her at this point in my life to look for somebody else. And I'm glad she wouldn't have listened to me because my wife saw something of value in me. Oddly enough, God also saw something of value in me or some potential in me or just some willingness to admit I am so broken. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you were. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still covered in our own self-loathing and vomit, Christ died for us. We pray for people to show up at church. We're like, we want everyone to show up at church. You know what happens when everyone shows up? You worry about who showed up. We need to commit to what we're praying for. Let's be intentional. If you don't want everyone to show up, don't pray for it. God answers prayers. If you want everyone to show up, be ready for them when they get here. Because you're going to deal with some stuff you never thought you would.
kind of chased a bunny there for a second. But this is what I think of when I read the Old Testament, as I see these flawed, mistake-making individuals. And they're a mirror that reminds me of all the mistakes that I make. Yet God calls them righteous sometimes, and God blesses them. And you see people act out of anger and do these awful things, yet God blesses them. And sometimes God calls them a man after, their own, after his own heart. And you wonder how that can be possible. And again, like I talked about with Lot, we see snapshots of their life, which are usually the mistakes. We don't know what was happening in the other, well, in the case of Abraham, 175 years. We get to see instances where we're like, well, that was dumb. Well, yeah, it was. Which is one of the biggest evidences I give you to separate this from Greek mythology. Mythology doesn't do that. Oh, by the way, your hero's flawed. Anyhow, God uses the imperfect people, absolutely, and I wholeheartedly believe that it brings more glory to God when he uses an imperfect person, when he uses someone that has evident flaws. When God uses that person, it's because it's God. It isn't because they had the ability. It's because it's God. God is made strong in our weakness. That is not where I intended to stop, but I think that is where I'm going to stop today. After the service, we are have the opportunity to hopefully be a blessing to Rob and Jan. Rob has done pastoral ministry for about 21 years. And also we can say thank you to Marcia for an undisclosed amount of years, in which case she made the bulletins every Sunday morning. And that can be part of our heritage. That can help shape what the future of our church looks like. And it should. So let's celebrate each other. Let's celebrate our children. Let's celebrate our parents. Let's celebrate those people that aren't perfect. Affirming and celebrating in people doesn't say you're perfect. What it says is I see you and I love you and I appreciate you. Anyhow. I believe Merlin is, is, am I at the right time? Or you had something else in mind, didn't you? I'm, I'm wrong. Oh, the gift discernment and elders nominations. Okay, we have two men who have agreed to serve as elder. So I would like to give you uh, a couple weeks to pray about that, actually. Because uh, both men are godly men. And I feel incredibly blessed that they both said yes. And both of them, I didn't know if they would say yes, to be honest, because they have things going on. But they said, if God decides I should serve as elders because God wants me to be elder, and I'll be obedient to that. And that's the best answer you could ever get, I think. So um, if I could just have you guys stand up for a second. Willis Troyer and Don Ash have both been nominated as elder. And they have both said, you guys want to stand up? They have both said they are willing, even though they both have things going on. They are both very willing to be our elder. And they're both committed to Jesus. They're both committed to scripture. Neither one is a yes man. We are blessed beyond belief. 
to have two men that have a long history of serving Christ, though their journey looks very different, say yes to this. And I want you to take the next two weeks and I want you to pray every single day. I'm, I know I'm giving a homework assignment. I'm a teacher. I want you to pray every single day for these two men. I want you to wipe your mind of who you think would make the best elder today. And I want you to pray about it openly for two weeks. And in two weeks, we will take our bulletins. We'll pass out our bulletins. But I want you to commit with me. Will you commit with me for praying daily for these two men to know who you should vote for? Some of you didn't nod your heads. Please commit with me to pray to these two, for, not to them, for these two men. Because no matter which one is elected, I will be so pleased as punch. Honestly, these, these are uh, my elders in faith. They bless me incredibly, both of them. And if you would join me for a moment, let's go ahead and pray for them now. And then you will have two weeks to pray for yourself and decide who God wants you to vote for. I really do love you guys. <laughs> Father God, I pray that you would bless these two men. I pray that you would continue to use them in spite of their health concerns, in spite of imperfections. I pray that you would continue to use them. I pray that you would give us grace in dealing with each other as a church. I pray that you would just bless them abundantly, but that you would give us direction as to what you want for your church going forward. I pray that the person you decide should be the elder would become the elder, and I pray that the other person would be supportive of that and also continue to serve you as they do, Lord, maybe even in larger ways. I thank you again for these two men. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have some uh, congregational hymns led by Merlin Stolzfus. Uh, after that, we'll do the announcements. Uh, Chad, oh, I had the wrong bulletin out, even. That's where my, my confusion is. Oh, goodness. Also, thank you. Christy has been, been printing out these bulletins for us since uh, Marcia retired. You can tell her you appreciate it also. Um, or if there's anything you want to put in the bulletin, make sure that you see either myself or Christy. Uh, the announcements, it says that Mike Catalfi is going to be doing those today. He is not going to be doing those today because he has a wretched-sounding cough, and this is not the year to go in public when you have a wretched-sounding cough. So he is not here, but he wanted me to tell Rob congratulations and say that he wishes he was here. Anyway, but Chad will be doing that part because, like I said earlier on, when in doubt, I will be asking Chad today. Are you, are you ready, Merlin? First song is that <clears throat> I know that my redeemer liveth, and the second one is Christ's everlasting gospel is ringing out again. <laughs> 